We have recently begun a new series in the book of Romans, and we are in chapter 1. I've said this before, it's, it's always been my favorite book in Scripture. Uh, it's, it's a book that never long not in, and I promise you, if you understand the book of Romans well, you will understand the Bible well. So, dig in with us. But this morning I want to uh, read from verses 16 to 27, and then we will focus on verses 24 to 27. But this is God's Word, starting with the theme statement of the entire book. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise. They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. We will stop there. Thus far, God's Word. Let's pray together. Lord, as Sam read, you are holy. You reign. You are pure, righteous, altogether just, merciful, gracious, long-suffering. And we cry out to you this morning. Help us to love you. Help us to love your Word. Help us to follow Jesus. Help us to walk in your light in the midst of a dark world and a dark culture, an increasingly dark culture. We live in a nation that is under judgment of God for forsaking you. We live amongst a people that want to go their own way. We all have once been in that path, like sheep going astray, going our own way. And yet at the right time, Lord Jesus, exactly the right time, the time foreordained, the time prepared, you came. 
and were born under your own law. You fulfilled all righteousness for your people, for the glory of your Father. You died to pay the penalty for our sins and were raised to, to life on the third day. And we have salvation because of you. You will hold us fast. You are the way, the truth, and the life. So help us this morning to understand your word, to believe it, to proclaim it, to live in its light, to be faithful with it, even though it might bring persecution or rejection. <clears throat> help us to shine as lights in the midst of a dark world. So help me to preach your word this morning. Truly, joyfully, compassionately, faithfully, and help us to hear it in the power of the Spirit as your word, as light unto our paths, as fueling our voice for witness. Fill our hearts with love of you, love of neighbor, love of one another like Christ. Bless the preaching and the hearing of your word. We ask for it and we trust you for it. In Jesus' holy name, amen. It didn't take me long to figure out my six words. These six words guide the choices I make. These six words give my clients permission to live the life they want to live. My six-word memoir is this. If it feels good, do it. If we would just do more of what feels good in our lives, we would never go astray. We should let our bodies guide us. We should notice our emotions. We should trust this inner wisdom. A lady called Sharon Pope, don't know who she is, just thought the quote was useful. As a negative example. A summary of psychiatrist Carl Jung, it's spelled Jung, but it's Jung. A, psych, a summary of his teaching was put forward as this. The shackles of family, society, and deity must be broken. The libido is God. In 1997, gay activist Paula Etelbrick clearly outlined the aims of the gay movement. Being queer is more than sleeping with a person of the same gender. It means transforming the very fabric of our society. The goal is radically reorienting society's view of family. Oh, away with any notion of God, the true and living God, the God of Scripture, who created us and to whom we are responsible. Man owes his allegiance to himself and to his feelings and to his libido. This defines who we really are since there is no God. Man decides who he is and lives on the basis of that. So far in our study of Romans, we've seen Paul introduce himself. 
We've seen him introduce the gospel, showing us that the roots of it are in the Old Testament. We've seen him proclaim his love for the church in Rome and his desire to go minister to them. We've seen him give us the summary of the gospel and the theme statement of the book in verses 16 and 17. And then in verse 18 of chapter 1, he begins to lay out the bad news. In other words, from, from verse 18 of chapter 1 to verse 20 of chapter 3, he's expounding upon the universal need of this gospel that he preaches. Gentile and Jew all together, all are sinful, all are fallen, all need a Savior. There's none good, no, not one. So he begins his letter on the gospel after his introduction and his summary statement, talking about the wrath of God. And we've seen that as we looked at verse 18, and we've seen that as we looked last week at, at uh, the inexcusable rejection of God. And this week we're going to look at verses 24 to 27, and we see some of the disastrous results of rejecting the truth of God, as we talked about last week. I'll point you back to that one. But if we stubbornly reject God and His truth, He will give us over to our own way, which leads to destruction. Romans 1 mentions two things that people are given up to. And you see that mentioned. If you look in your translations, you'll see God gave them up or God gave them over, something like that in verse 24, in verse 26, and in verse 28. And so we're going to deal with 24 to 27 today, and then we'll see the, the third use of that, God giving them up uh, in verse 28. This week it's dishonorable passions, next week a debased mind. And it's very timely, it's, it's very, um, what I'm going to say is it very unpopular, but I'm, I want to look at you and tell you that I'm going to say this because I love God. I'm going to say this because I love God's Word. I'm going to say this because I love you and you on the live stream and whoever's listening to this. But if you're going to love like Christ, you're not only going to have to say things that, that, that comfort people, but you're going to have to say things that might shake them with the hope that they'll embrace the bad news so that they will turn to the Savior. But the thing I want you to take away, and I struggle with this this week, not, not the information, but how to put it together. Uh, but I think one thing we really need to embrace that sort of encapsulates what I'm going to say is this main point. We must change our thinking so that we see sexual immorality as a fearful part of God's judgment and not something to be celebrated. Sexual immorality is a fearful part of God's judgment. This giving over to this path of sexual, sexual immorality is in itself God's judgment. And that should warn us to turn from it, not to celebrate it. So sin in all of its form is to be repented of. And we have a, a, specific, a specific form of that sin today. But first, I, the first point I, I titled this, given over for what? In other words, it's given over, given over, given over. What is the reason people are given over? So given over for what, for what reason in verses 24 to 25? And I'm flipping it. Look at, look at verse 25 first. Here's the major sin, the one that deserves judgment. It's verse 25, and this is really recapping what he's already said in previous verses. But in verse 25 of chapter 1, he says, They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. 
Stop. The verses above. And go back and read it and go back to listen to last week's sermon. Every single soul, every single person knows there's a God. We like to play like we don't because we love sin. But every person, we don't know Him savingly, but every person knows He exists. And His, his existence is clear so that they're without excuse. That's what those verses were saying. I'll again point you back to last week's sermon. I have enough to deal with this week. But he says, the sin is this in verse 25. They exchange the truth about God, the truth about His existence, the truth about uh, our cre- being His creation, the truth that we are here for His glory. It's clear. But they, and again, we're in the context of the establishing Gentile guilt or non-Jew guilt, but this doesn't just refer to Gentiles. It's a universal. They exchange the truth about God for a lie, and you saw that above. They exchange the glory of God for the immortal God for images or for idolatry. The lie is idolatry. Having another God. Turning away from the true and living God to something else. And it says, They worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Paul is emphasizing who God is and the truth of who God is. And the, and the thought there is that they pass by the Creator to worship the creature. Sometimes saying things or imagining that they are worshiping the true and living God through the creature. They end up stopping with the creature. There are religious ways to do this and non-religious ways to do this. But he said, Paul is saying, what I'm getting ready to say and the reason these folks are being given over is because of idolatry. It's because of this. It's because of false worship. It's because of willfully rejecting God and His truth. God's existence is clear. Yet mankind does not honor Him or or are are we thankful to Him apart from His grace. And going further, not only do they reject Him, they, they create new gods to replace Him. The God who is blessed forever. The true and living God. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. True God of Scripture. Paul is emphasizing that this is the worst sin and this is the bad sin. This is the reason that people are being given over because they're embracing this sin of idolatry, rejection of the light, especially in Jesus. I mean, I remind you, I quoted this verse last week, John 3, 19 to 20. Why do people turn, why do people not naturally embrace Christ? I mean, the gospel is the best story you'll ever hear. Free grace, free salvation, because Christ paid for it all. But why do we not embrace that light? It's not because it's not good enough. Christ said this. This is Jesus diagnosing the world's problem. And this is the judgment. The, the light, that's Him. The light has come into the world. But, and people love darkness rather than light because their works are evil. The fallenness, total depravity, all of that coming into the picture. For everyone who does wicked things who practices them, hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. See, it's a heart problem. It's a, it's a love of self problem and a love of sin that causes us to, to not follow the true and living God other than to sort of tip our hats toward him when he will bless the way we already want to go. That's why mankind creates gods he can control, gods he can worship. But God's, you see that word because in the verse 25? 
because they did this, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, then that puts 24 in its context. And I know I flipped that around, but it just seemed best to make the sin clear up front. Review a little bit from last week. Verse 24, Therefore, because they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images, because they turned to idolatry, because they, though it was clear, they turned from His revelation, it says, Therefore God gave them up. That should really be scary to you. That God will give you up to your own way. If you stubbornly refuse His way, He will give you up to your own way. Go ahead, have at it. It's the way you want to go. It's not good news when God removes His restraint. It's not good news when He gives people over to their own way. And, and listen, when it says He gave them up, He didn't create the lusts of their hearts. He didn't make them turn to evil. That's there. We're born with that there. But it says God gave them up to the lusts of their own hearts, to impurity and to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. It's the way they want to go and He simply takes off the restraint. You know that everyone in the world would be the absolute worst sinner they could possibly be were it not for God's restraint. For His common grace. For His mercy. We're all born, born lost. We're all born going our own way. We're all born serving self and pursuing sin and, and, and not wanting God to really disrupt our pursuit of that. Dead in sin, as Paul calls it. But it says, He gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity. The way they thought was right. This is the way that will be the most fun. This is the way that I feel like going. This is the way that, in a perverted way of understanding, will be blessed for me. It seems right to me. I am the authority. Proverbs 14.12 is an apt warning. There is a way that seems right to a man, woman, boy, or girl. But the end is the way of death. Going against God will in many ways seem right, feel right, be popular, seem cool. But if it's in opposition to God, it is the way of death. Because it is sin. And when it says He gave them up to impurity... He's easing into this a little bit. But that, that word for impurity doesn't have a positive connotation. The word used here for impurity is a word that Paul regularly uses and Scripture regularly uses to refer to sexual impurity. That will become clear soon. And don't worry parents, I'm not going to get into details. That's your job at the right time and in the right way. He says, for the dishonoring of their bodies. Whatever they're plowing into is from God's perspective, which is from the true perspective, is a dishonorable way. It's not an honorable way. It's a dishonoring of the body. 
It's a, it's, a, it's a taking the body that God has created and given and using it against Him instead of for Him. The dishonoring of their bodies. Our entire being, including our body, was created for God's glory, for His worship, for His praise. And listen to me, people. That is the path of joy. True joy. Lasting joy. Joy that will hang with you in the midst of the trials. Not temporal, fleeting, fleshly happiness, but real and true and lasting joy. But they will have none of that. The New Living Translation says it this way. So God abandoned them. Wow, that's enough, right? So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their heart desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. This is not positive language, is it? This doesn't feel good. This doesn't paint a good picture. It makes us uncomfortable to talk about. You know what? So we don't talk about it. And we should talk about it. We should talk about it like Jesus. We should talk about it in love, but we should talk about it. What are those degrading things? I'm just going to let Paul explain it. And listen, the verses, especially these two verses, they're so, it's kind of like trying to explain away the resurrection. The explanations that try to explain this away are so silly that they, they almost convince you of the truth, if you're listening, of the verses. Some try to limit this to men and men doing... Is this so, I'm not going to get into all the excuses. I'm just going to tell you what these verses say. And we can talk more about that if we need to. But what are, and this is the second point of the outline. Given over to what? So there's a reason they were given over. One word, idolatry. Not submitting to, being thankful to, not honoring the God who created them. So that was the reason they're given over. And this is the being, what are they given over to? What did Paul mean in verse 24 by impurity? What does he mean by dishonoring of the body? Well, he tells us here in verse 26, for this reason, now that's verse 25, exchanging the truth about God for a lie. For this reason, God gave them up. Now this is the lust of their hearts and the way they wanted to go. Look what it says. God gave them up to dishonorable passions. And listen, in these two verses, it's it's not saying that everybody who rejects God is like this and embraces this. But it's using this as the proto-example of a rejection of God's authority, especially in the sexual realm. God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Notice the thing he's talking about is sinful in both the desire and the action. The desire is sinful as well as the action. It's a dishonorable passion. It's a dishonorable desire. It's a dishonorable lust, not an honorable one. There's no way to justify it. You shouldn't be identified by it, especially if you're a Christian. Because they wanted to go their own way, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Other other translations put it this way. The Holman puts it, degrading passions. 
the King James vile affections. That's probably the most picturesque, vile. You kind of have to make a face when you say that, don't you? You don't say vile. The New Living Translation, shameful desires. It's a negative form of the word that means honor and respect or honorable and respectful. The negative form is dishonorable, disrespectful. God gave them over to dishonorable passions. What are those, Paul? Now he's going to tell us. He's going, to, he's going to expand upon what he mentioned in verse 24. He's going to give us a little more. What are these dishonorable passions? What is, what is this ungodly lust to sexual impurity? What are you talking about? What is the evidence of and the judgment for rejecting the true and living God? This is the sort of, again I say, the, the, the proto-example in the sexual immorality realm. Now watch what he says. And remember, this is God's Word. And this lines up with everything in the Old Testament as well as the New. You bring it all together. It's really clear, although people don't like it. Look at this. For the women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. So whatever this is, even the women are involved in it. So it's not just a man thing, and it's not just a man abusing another. It's not just a... Natural relations. This word for relations that the ESV translates as relations or natural relations really means sexual relations. If you go read the Net Bible, you'll see that they've brought that into their translation. That, that when we turn our back on God and on God's ways and we don't embrace His ways, then, then we become blind to the truth. We, we claim to be wise, but we become fools. Now, fool, again, I said this, is not an intellectual insult last time. It's a moral insult. A fool is one who rejects God in His revelation because it's clear that He's here. It's true. But the women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. Contrary, listen, Paul is not speaking here from an a, a naturalistic, atheistic position. Nature is what God has created, the way God has set things up, the way things work, yes, according to natural law, but because it's the way God has put it together. It's the way that's plain as you investigate and look at things. So contrary to nature is contrary to God's created order. What is God's created order when it comes to intimacy? It's Genesis 2. Take a wife. A man takes a wife and the two become one flesh. Most intimate thing that can happen, picturing the relationship between Christ and the church. So much I could say about that. That's God's context. That's, that's the natural use. That's the natural or the God-ordained use is for a man and a woman to come together in holy matrimony and then and there enjoy the blessings of intimacy. And all physical intimacy outside of that is contrary to nature, is sinful. And Paul is picking one example of that here when he says women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. So being according to nature is what is evident 
according to God's creation, that man was made for a woman, that they are designed to fit together and produce offspring. Obvious on the face of it. You may not be able to see this. You probably can't. That's why I gave the guys picture, pictures. But this is a nut and a bolt. Well, I did that backwards. A, a nut and a bolt. And they have one function. To come together. To do good things. But take the nut, for instance. This by itself... Sure, you could make it a necklace, but that's silly. I mean, you could run a string through it. It's designed for one purpose, and that is to be on a bolt. The nut doesn't get to say, I don't feel like a nut. <laughs> well, there's a, a commercial. Sometimes you feel like a nut, and sometimes you don't. Uh, I know, groan, that was meant to be corny. I don't identify as a nut. I'm an orange. That's what I feel like. So that's what I've decided I am. Well, that doesn't mean it turns into an orange. It's still a nut. That's a confused little nut. But it's a nut. And listen, I, I don't have, I'm not saying I don't have compassion for people who struggle with gender dysphoria and all of that. But it is that. We don't get to decide who we are and what we are. God's already decided that, and that's for your good. And when the engineers, Andrew and others who designed the nut to go on the boat, that's what it was designed for, and that's what it works for. And when you put the two together, they do a great job. So the bolt is, is the other half of that equation. Without a nut, it's not really productive. You can carry it around, you can nail it in a piece of wood, but there's a better tool for that. It's called a nail. But together, they're according to design. This is how they were designed. This is how they work. That's a silly little illustration to show you how, to me, how obvious it is when you look at things that certain things were designed to go together. And certain things weren't. Two bolts don't go together and do anything good. Two nuts don't go together and do anything good. Who designed the purpose? The engineer. Paul is saying that an evidence of a dishonorable passion, an evidence of a rejection of God, an evidence of His judgment is embracing dishonorable passions and embracing what is contrary to, to nature. God has properly defined the borders of sexual morality and it's within the context of marriage. It is a man and a woman in holy matrimony that produce offspring. Generally speaking, right? And apart from that is just unnatural. It's dishonorable. It's not the way that God has designed things. 
So he set the borders when he created, and we have that in Genesis 2. And all sexual immorality falls under, I will dispel a couple of things, all sexual immorality falls under the seventh commandment. The seventh commandment is, thou shalt not commit adultery. So the commandments, you know genus and species, right? See the commandments as genus and all of the particular sins as species of one or more of those commandments. So the commandment is not just speaking about a husband cheating on a wife. Although it is speaking of that and it's using that as the highest violation of, of you know, God's... Adultery is used for spiritual abandonment of God as well. So, thou shalt not commit adultery encapsulates all sexual sin. I'm going somewhere with this. Larger Catechism 99 teaches us how to interpret the commands of God. When you're interpreting a commandment, know this. Under one sin or duty, all of the same kind are forbidden or commanded. All of the same kind of duties or all of the same kind of sins are forbidden. Adultery is just the head of all sexual sin. Where am I going? So, Jesus did speak about it. He spoke of all sexual sin when he pointed us back to Genesis 2 and talked about marriage and sexual intimacy. Thou shalt not steal. Did he have to be specific and say you shall not um, take what is not yours through a cell phone? Did Jesus ever speak of a cell phone? Would that mean that looking at things you shouldn't look, like on your, look at on your phone is not sinful? No, it wouldn't mean that at all. Of course, he spoke about it. He spoke about the Sixth Commandment. He spoke about the head of it. And so Paul is saying that women have exchanged the natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. Now look at verse 27. So it's not just the guys, but it is also the guys. And the men likewise doing the same kind of thing. Now we're getting more definition, what, what he's been talking about, what he's working into. Watch this. The men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. He could have stopped there, but he didn't. Look what Paul says. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. Shameless acts. Both the act and the desire. Shameless, shameful, dishonorable, shameless acts. We fr nobody's blushing anymore. Nobody's embarrassed. Nobody's hiding. It's all out in the open. As a nation, we've forgotten how to blush. Because we've forgotten who God is. Let's be clear what we're talking about so we can get booted off YouTube. I'm not kidding. Don't be shackled by the culture. Now listen, do, do it in love. Do it in faithfulness. Don't hate people because they're sinful. Don't, don't, don't sinfully attack that. Right? But biblically speak into that. The way Christ did and the way he would. Why do you think he, he said they hated him? Because he spoke of their acts as sinful. I'm talking about homosexuality in all of its forms, 
It is a shameful act. It's a dishonorable passion. It is something that receives God's judgment. It's a sin. It's not the only sin, but it is one of the sins. Before you get too haughty, gossip is mentioned in the list sometimes, so don't elevate yourself. Apart from God's grace, we're all lost and need a Savior. But I'm talking about, Paul's talking about, and we'll see that in a minute more, He's talking about homosexuality. God gave them up to dishonorable passions. What do you mean? Women and men in homosexual acts. Re-identifying a sin nature as an orientation doesn't help you any. Some, everybody struggles with something, and some people struggle with these things more than others, and we need to be compassionate to those people. Some even saved people still struggle with same-sex attraction. But they're fighting against it. They're seeking to mortify it. They want to have it sanctified, which means no longer there. It is inherently sinful. It's part of God's judgment on a race of people who've rejected His worship and His gracious rule. And it is here presented as the height of sexual rebellion against God's created order. And I know a lot of people have said a lot of silly things about this, even recently. Some big-time preachers and others copying them. But we have to be clear. Adultery is sinful. Sexual immorality is sexual immorality. And homosexuality is part of that, not because I want it to be or not because I'm proud over, I'm not, or want to speak against it. It's because it's what God's Word teaches. And to, to ignore that is to, to contribute to people embracing a way that seems right, but its end is death. It might feel right this entire life. But then you stand before God and find out, I was wrong. And there's nothing I can do about it now. Notice one more thing at the end of verse 27. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Wow, what is that? What is that? A lot of people have speculated about what that... Was that talking about AIDS? Or was that? I don't think so. I think I think the 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 thing itself is the penalty for the area era. Remember, God gave them up so that they pursued these things, and that was the penalty for the area being given over, being given up, being let go. It's not a good sign if you choose a path of life that it's in opposition to God and it seems to work out for you in this life. I mean, there's great example. Jesus said if, it doesn't matter if you gain the whole world and it doesn't profit if you lose your soul. No, Bill Gates won't be able to buy his way out of the judgment. And I'm not judging his heart. It just doesn't seem like he's a Christian to me. <laughs> I just used him as an example. There are a lot of examples. Homosexuality is both the evidence of turning from God and is itself a judgment in that they, the scripture here is saying,
He's given them over to it. It doesn't mean there's no salvation for them. It doesn't mean it's the unforgivable sin or anything like that. Well, listen, Paul's not teaching anything new. Remember, he was raised at the feet of Gamaliel. He was trained in the law. He knows the Old Testament scriptures probably better than almost anybody who's ever lived. And what he's teaching flows out of that tradition of God's work among the Jewish people and his law given to them, his oracles, his word. And now he's, he's showing that, you know, that is right. That is true. That, is, that applies. Look at this. Both Old Testament and New Testament puts homosexuality in the category of sexual immorality. It's hard, right? You, some, some of you got friends who are in this um, cleaned up lifestyle. And I know for whatever reason, for the younger generation, it's hard to say anybody's wrong. But either everybody's wrong or somebody's wrong. And the resurrection proves Christ wasn't wrong. And Paul's following him. But Leviticus 20.13, stating it plain, this is in a, the, law, the context of the law being given to Israel. And yes, there's, um, it speaks of adultery and bestiality and all kinds of stuff in, in this section. But it says, if a man lies with a male... As with a woman. See how that resonates right with Romans 1? If a man lies with a man as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. It's not talking about the abominable snowman. That's a very terrible thing they've done. It's a thing that God hates. This thing that's worthy of His judgment. They have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. That sounds serious, right? Again, listen, we're talking about this specifically because this text talks about it. There are more sins than this, and we're certainly going to see that next week as he wraps up the chapter. But man with man, woman with woman, it's not a lifestyle choice. It's not a orientation. It's not got something created, God created you for. Are there genetic mutations and all kinds of things that make us struggle with various things? I mean, some people really are prone to alcoholism, but it doesn't justify alcoholism. An abomination. There's so many verses I could quote, but I don't want to. I'm just giving you one from the Old Testament and one from the New, because it is really about time for me to let you go. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Here's a list for you, so it's, it shows it's just one of many, but it is very serious. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Or do you not know? Paul's saying this is obvious. This has been taught. You should remember this, right? Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. People try to make you think they will. People try to make you think some of these things are okay or everybody does it, however they want to put it. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. You see the list. And there are other lists in the New Testament like that. Homosexuality listed right with... Listen, and you may hear some stuff about, you know, that particular word wasn't translated as that until very recent in history. Of course it wasn't. English changes, but it was 
it was similar pejorative terms for the sin. And it flows right out of the Old Testament. A lot, listen, they are, gosh, Jeff, easy. There are whole churches that try to convince people what I'm telling you this morning is not true. That it's okay. That you're all right. That's the way God created you. Embrace it. Live by it. It makes me angry. Because they are leading these people away from God, not to Him, and to judgment and to hell without repentance. So be it you have to leave, be it you never come back. I hope you do. I love you enough this morning to tell you the truth of what God's Word teaches. He says that those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. They are not God's children. They are not saved. We Southerners like to put it that way. But there's hope. That's why I want verse 11 in here. Look at this. And such are some of you. Y'all better check me. Such were some of you, but God. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of the living God through the Word of God. This this used to characterize you, kind of like the way Paul walks through it in Ephesians and says what they were, but now what they are in Christ. And that would include every sin. Such were some of you, but you were what? See, these voices are hushed in the culture today. People, you know, there are large numbers of formerly every sin, as we all can testify, and formerly homosexual who are now married and thriving and having children who want to stand up and tell people their story and point them to Jesus. But the culture wants to mute that kind of thing. But Paul says, this was true of you, But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified, you were saved. The Lord did it. God, God, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. This is why Jesus came to save sinners. Whatever your struggle is, including homosexuality. Jesus came to save sinners. And it's on the list of things that He sanctifies and and saves people from. Christ came, He was born, He lived under His own law, fulfilling all righteousness. On the cross, He paid the penalty for our sins. And yes, homosexuality would have been one of those. Not the only one, but one of those. He died, He was buried, it's over, right? No, He was raised the third day, proving it's all true. Christ gave Paul His gospel. Read Galatians and other places. Christ simply taught what He had always taught. From Genesis 1-1 on, and I just ask you to consider if you're embracing this lifestyle, maybe you're wrong. You know there's a God. If you're thinking rightly, you hate your sin and you want to be free of it, and Jesus can set you free. And even if it's a thing you have to battle with the rest of your life to to see sanctified in your life, it's worth it. And He's worth it. 
And he'll work that in your heart if you have ears. In fact, he'll give you ears, ears to hear. Because see, Acts 17, 30 and 31 apply to this as well as every other sin. I'm just going to read that to you right quick. It's not in my notes. It says this in verse 30 of Acts chapter 17. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent. Notice He commands. He doesn't just suggest. He commands all people everywhere to repent because He's fixed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness or psalm reading and things, by a man who he's appointed, and of this he's given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Believe it or not, someday you'll stand before that one, Jesus, and give an answer. May it be an answer of faith and not of rebellion. I call you to repentance today. Maybe homosexuality is not your sin. You think you can hide? No. Repent and trust Jesus. Come to faith. Be forgiven freely. Be changed. New heart. Have your record of sin washed away and His righteousness credited to you. A child of God with hope for this life and the life to come. Repent and trust Jesus. Just a few applications and I'm done. One, this text clearly says that the evidence says that the existence of homosexuality is a sin and it is evidence of God's judgment. Its very existence is an evidence of sin and God's judgment. Both in the individual life as well as the culture. This is bad news, not good news. Homosexuality is not good news. It's not a thing to come out and enjoy and to embrace and be good, although the culture will affirm you in that. Seek God's way. It's a great sin, and it's an evidence of being given over, individually and corporately as a country. Maybe I can shake us a little bit this morning. Moral decay occurs before the fall of any nation or empire. These things are openly embraced and even legislated when an empire or a country is near the end. Read Augustine's Confessions and he will talk about um, gay parades and stuff like that in the Roman Empire. Demanding that not only the culture accept it, but support it. See, this is not new. It's as old as Sodom and before. Their sin wasn't a lack of hospitality. Okay? Read better. But moral decay occurs before the fall of any empire. Here are three signs that signal when a nation or an empire is near the end. Watch, listen to these three signs that signal when a nation or an empire is near its end. The rise of immorality. Openly the decay of religious belief, and the devaluing of human life. Where are we as a country? We're there and more. The rise of immorality, open immorality, the decay of religious belief, and the devaluing of life. So how do we respond? 
if we can just get enough legislators and if we can just get enough people calling Washington, if we can... We've tried that because we forgot the mission. I'm not saying don't be involved in politics. Run if you want to, if that's what God's called you to. We need good people in government. But how do we respond to our homosexual neighbors since that's what we've been talking about? One, love them. But love them biblically. Love them biblically. Be willing to speak the truth to them in love. Be willing to be clear that it is a sin. That it deserves judgment. But also that there's a Savior. There's a Deliverer. If you have a homosexual person or a couple that lives next to you and their grass needs cutting, cut it. Doesn't mean you support the lifestyle. It means God might give you that entry into the life so that you can speak the truth of His gospel. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And love one another the way Christ has loved us. Be willing to speak about it. There is hope. Remember, such were some of you. But they don't know if we don't tell them. And if we're always standing out, resisting, spitting at them and cursing them, and, and you know what I mean? With any sin. No, we need to be gospel witnesses. Christ came into the darkness for salvation. This is clearly a sin. You cannot explain away these verses. And the others, although people try, and the others in the Bible that are clear about this. These are dishonorable passions. These are impure desires as well as actions. But Christ came to save sinners. Let me end by rechanging. Let me, let me give you my six words. Or literally, it's God's six words. So change what that lady said at first when I opened up. Here, here are Jesus' six little words. If it glorifies God, do it. What's the implication? If it doesn't, don't. And these things we've talked about today clearly don't. If it glorifies God, do it. Against Carl Jung... Here's what I would say. The shackles of sin in the family and society and the self must be broken. The deliverer is God. The Lord Jesus Christ. Follow Christ. This is His teaching through Paul. This is in accord with how you were created. This defines who you are. The Word of God. This is the true path to joy and blessing. Jesus died and Jesus was raised so that we might repent and both think and live God's way and be light and salt for Him in a dark world. This is what you were designed for. So repent of sin, glorify and enjoy Him forever to live as Christ. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Many of us are afraid of the culture's reaction.
We're afraid of our neighbor's reaction. We're afraid of our family member's reaction. We want to preserve, I don't know, niceness. So we say nothing. Forgive us. And this is not the only sin we fail to address. Lord, as a lot, we're pretty pitiful witnesses these days. So recharge us in you, in your goodness, in your grace, in your gospel, in the fact that Christ, you lived for us, fulfilling all righteousness. You died to pay the penalty for our sins. You have purchased us. We are yours who should no longer live for ourselves, but for you who were raised from the dead. And we have a glorious message, the gospel of the living God that is the power of God for salvation that speaks of a righteousness that is a free gift because Christ has died. Christ has been raised. Christ reigns. He's coming again. And one day all nations will honor Him. Lord, I pray for those who struggle maybe with these sins that we've discussed, who are convicted about it. They struggle with it. They're not sure what to do about it. They're confused. I pray for clarity, that they might see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, that they might turn to Christ for mercy. I pray for those who are mad right now because of what has been said, that you might get through that. I'd rather they be mad than non-responsive. May your grace and your gospel get through so that you grant them repentance and faith. I pray for those of us who know you, who won't speak of these things. Maybe who don't have clarity about it, but won't study it out. That you'd give us diligence to have gospel words to say. Not just law, but also gospel. Use us to reach people of whom you will say someday, and such were some of you. Lord, have mercy on us and help us to see things your way. Help us to love you. Help us to believe your word. Help us to live in its light. Lord, let us not go away proud because we don't struggle with this, but go away humbled that we don't, if we don't and compassionate toward those who do and willing to take the chance to point them to Jesus who is our righteousness, who is our salvation and our redemption. Bless us with repentance and faith. Shake the world once again with your gospel. Even in Afghanistan, give my brothers and sisters boldness and faithfulness more important than physical life is spiritual life and rest in you and faithfulness to you. And I pray that they will be able to embrace as well as we will really embrace what we say every Sunday. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Bless us, Lord. We praise you this morning and we're humbled by your grace. It's in Jesus' name I pray.